for our meditation this morning, I draw your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to read the first four verses and to emphasize, as you will hear, the thoughts according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 4, the word of God. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you also stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. He died... He was buried according to the scriptures. He was raised according to the scriptures. Several years ago, one of the most vociferous atheists was Bertrand Russell. And Russell was debating on the existence of God with Frederick Copleston. And they were going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And at midpoint of the conversation, Dr. Copleston said to Russell, on what basis do you dif- differentiate between right and wrong? Russell answered that he did so on the same basis that he differentiated between yellow and blue. Copleston challenged the analogy because color, he said, were differentiated on the basis of seeing. How does one differentiate between good and bad? And Russell replied that he, do, he does so on the basis of feelings. I differentiate between right and wrong on the basis of feelings. Imagine if the human relationship depended on feelings. Someone asked Mrs. Billy Graham, Mrs. Graham, have you ever thought of divorcing Billy? She said, never. Murder? Several times. (laughs) Feelings. Imagine if your destiny and mine depended upon how we felt. And St. Paul is writing to the church, remember, because I want to suggest to you that some of the greatest challenges concerning our faith is coming not from outside the church, but from inside the church. So this morning, for the next few moments, I want to share with you that what we are doing this morning is according to the scriptures, not according to our history, not according to our preference. But according to the scriptures, 
We want to ask ourselves, why do we put so much to the Scriptures? Why do we put so much into the Scriptures? Why do we say, the Bible says, and some are telling us, no, we don't use that, because the modern man doesn't want to hear that. Well, I'll give you reasons this morning for our meditation as we come to the table. First of all, the Bible teaches that it is inspired. The Bible teaches it is inspired. And we must ask ourselves the question, what is the meaning of inspiration? So the writer will say, I had a great inspiration to write this. It's not the same thing as when the scripture says that the Bible is inspired. So let me take you for a minute to the meaning of inspiration. The meaning of inspiration literally means that which is written. When Jesus said to the devil in the wilderness, it is written, he was saying, the scripture says. He was saying, the Bible says. And he didn't deviate from that. So when you read the term, it is written, it is speaking of the scriptures. Well, talking to the scriptures then, we are told in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration. It's a very technical word. Let me tell you what inspiration means. The New International Dictionary says this. Inspiration is a supernatural divine influence on the prophets, the apostles, or the sacred writers by which they were qualified to communicate truth without error. A supernatural influence qualifies men to receive and communicate divine truth. Now that comes pretty close. But you want to ask the question, who inspires? Who is responsible for inspiration? Were the disciples or the prophets sitting down one day and they thought, well, you know, I think it would be good for pastoring to hear this. So they decided to do it. No. Listen to the text. All scripture is inspired by God. Inspiration means to come out from God. He breathed out what he was saying. So it is more than an influence. I want to give you two great scriptures, from one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 2 and 3, Samuel writing said this, The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, or to me. And his words were on my tongue. Then he writes, Then God said. Samuel is not thinking something through, is not imagining something. He was very conscious that he was under the control of someone else bringing to his mind what he was about to say or write. That's inspiration. God's word was on his tongue. Please notice that it doesn't say Samuel is the source of what he was writing. It says God is. 
Secondly, St. Paul speaking to the Corinthian church, and this church was a church filled with intellectual men and women who did not give in to, to they, they love eloquence, they love verbiage, as we find in uh, Acts chapter 17. St. Paul writing to the church says this, which things we also speak, not with words taught with human wisdom, but in those taught by the Holy Spirit, so that the apostle was conscious of the fact that when he was speaking, he was not speaking from his own mind. He was conscious that God's Spirit, for all Scripture is inspired by God, and the Holy Spirit is God, and therefore they were speaking God's Word. Now I'll tell you why we make much of the Bible. We make much of the Bible because there is no other inspired book. No other book is written with the breath of God giving language to what we read. Only the Bible. Only the Bible. I was watching an episode of a Family Feud. And uh, one of the questions was... <laughs> What is the last book you read before you go to bed? Guess what one? Reader's Digest. <laughs> I don't know how many Christians they ask, but Reader's Digest. And my friends, I'm going to tell you that the last thing I want on my mind before I put my head down is not what man says about life, but what God says about it. That's the last thing I want in my mind. Inspiration means, my friends, that we have the very language of heaven in our language so that when we open this book, we are speaking of things that are beyond us and can only be fully comprehended by the Holy Spirit in us. That's the meaning of inspiration. Now the mode. How did God do this? How can we be sure that what we have here is not the development of time, as some will say? How did God bring his word to human being? In both of the texts, I want you to understand that, that two human beings in two different eras centuries apart, came to the one conclusion that what he was speaking of centuries before and what he was speaking of centuries later, both had its source in the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. No scripture is of private interpretation, but holy men of God were moved by the Holy Spirit so that in, in, in the mystery of inspiration, God so controlled the writers so that he did not take away their liberty to write, but he made sure that whatever they were writing was without error. 
they became almost infallible, if you please, not because they were in themselves, but because the Holy Spirit was moving them along. He was carrying them along so that whatever they would say, whatever they would write, is precisely what God wanted them to say. As Samuel said, the Spirit of the Lord was on my tongue and I spoke what God said. What God said. Now I won't go into the rest of the theological understanding of this, but let me tell you, Dr. W. Criswell said this concerning the inspiration of the Bible. The Bible is inspired verbally. God, through the Holy Spirit, inspired the writers to use the words they were used, that were used. The words themselves are inspired because God told them to use it. The only way God could mediate the truth is by language. There is no other way. Um, I was telling them, some preacher in the southern United States has the second largest church, I think, in the state or in the country. And he was saying, we should stop using the word Ten Commandments because there are no Hebrew words for commandments. (laughs) I don't know what translation he's reading, but over and over and over again. Moses said, he built the tabernacle according to what the Lord had commanded. Joshua, according to what I command you this day you shall do. Again and again and again. Inspired people who are illumined by the Holy Spirit to understand, never, never contradicts what God says. It might be hard to be understood, but they know that the problem of understanding is not because of the text. It is because of my inability or immaturity to understand it. And I need the Holy Spirit to, to make what God is saying to come to me so that I can believe it. I don't always understand in order to believe. I believe in order to understand. Then Chriswell said this. What happened when we believe this way, that the Bible is inspired? First, there is the unity of authorship. In the Bible, there are 40 writers who wrote over a period of 1,500 years. 40 different writers over a period of 1,500 years. But there is one author, the Holy Spirit of God. Also, when you believe in, in inspiration, you have... The unity of purpose, it reaches toward one glorious revelation, namely that in Christ we find forgiveness of our sins, hope for salvation, and a rich inheritance which God is preparing for those who love him. That is what God has done for us in writing this blessed book, as he used to call it. Inspiration, the purpose of inspiration that we have, is that we have God's truth. Inspiration assures us that we have God's truth. It matters not what others say. So Paul, we come to the table this morning. What we are engaged in this morning is based not upon religious feelings, it is based on the scriptures. Listen to what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. According to the scriptures, he died for us. 
According to the scriptures, he was buried. According to the scriptures, he was raised on the third day. One liberal theologian was asked, what, what if you found out later on that the resurrection was not true? Would it bother you? He said, no, it wouldn't. Because Jesus is risen in my heart. My friends, that sounds good. The scripture doesn't say that Jesus was risen, risen in our hearts. It says Jesus was risen on the third day from the dead and the grave is empty. Not that he's risen in our hearts. He's risen and he's shown himself. And so when we look at the scriptures, my friends, we're dealing with inspiration. We're dealing with a book like no other book. It's <laughs> telling Lois about an incident I read and I researched and it was said it wasn't so. And then I heard someone saying it this morning. That Voltaire, the French atheist, said that 100 years after he has died, the Bible will be insignificant. And one of the homes of Voltaire today is used by the Bible Society to print Bibles. <laughs> God was guiding his word. And no man inspired by God to give us this book can put his own imagination, his own mind, his own ideas, his own thought. No one can do that. Because inspiration means you cannot make a mistake. Secondly, if the scripture is inspired, then can we trust it? What about the integrity of the scriptures? Integrity means something of a quality that is undivided, something that is sound, something that can be trusted so the message of the scripture are reliable. <laughs> 1 Timothy 1.15 It is a faithful saying or a trustworthy saying that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. It is a statement of immense important, importance that Jesus Christ came into the world. That's the infallibility of Scripture. That's the reliability. No matter at what stage, no matter where the person is, a person comes to a relationship with Christ through the inspired message. It is that which will not return void to God. At Christmas time, Newsweek magazine came out with the most trident attacks on the Bible. I mean, it's almost as if they were holding it in for, for a whole period of time, and at Christmas time, they wanted to get it out. And they just lambasted the Bible from cover to cover. If you knew your Bible, you wouldn't pay any attention to it. I didn't. I'm telling you because this is my research. <laughs> but please listen, friends. Please listen. In spite of what Newsweek said, in a recent survey, only 63% of those who were asked believe that it is important to have the correct belief about the, of human origin. Only 63%. These are Christians. What they're saying is what Genesis said is not what I can believe. I don't know if it's reliable. 
And please listen. If you cannot take what Genesis says about our origin, we cannot take what Luke says about our salvation. Do away with that. Is it reliable? Uh, you know, a few weeks ago, there was the, the techie convention in Nevada. I mean, it was a fascinating thing. I mean, the things that they're going to be doing for you, because you are going to buy it, I'm sure. I, you know, I got, I, I got a smartphone for Christmas, and I'm finding how dumb I am. <laughs> the, the other day, I was, I was trying to see if I could be just smart with my smartphone. And all of a sudden, guess who appears on my screen? Madonna. (laughs) And she is singing, and I am pushing everything to see if I can get this woman off my screen. And I said, the only salvation is to call my son in Seattle. (laughs) And I did. I said, Christopher, she's on my screen, and I want her off. Uh... He's under 40. He knew what to do. <laughs> he told me, and I got Madonna off the screen. The only thing that frightens me is I don't know what I touch, and I might touch it again. That's the only thing that... Uh, 63% only. And I hope that you're among that 63%, friends, that believe that what God said about Adam and Eve, Jesus said about Adam and Eve, Paul said about Adam and Eve. John said about Adam and Eve. Spurgeon said about Adam and Eve. Billy Graham said about Adam and Eve. And Winston Thurton says about Adam and Eve. What the Bible says. Is it reliable? Can I bank my eternal salvation upon a book that was written over 2,000 years ago? Yes, you can. Because it is not your word. It's not my word. It is God's word. It's reliable. It can be trusted. I understand that one of the things that at the Techie Convention in Nevada, um, I saw this one I would love. Now, this one I would love. There's a certain watch that you can buy, and you go to the, to the, to the shopping mall, and you park, your, you get out, and you put your watch, you sync it with your car, and it takes the car to a parking spot for you. And when you come out, you just take your stuff and it takes you. I mean, it wouldn't that be neat? I, I mean, parking spots sometimes. That's the reason I don't shop at Christmas. <laughs> you can't find a parking spot unless you go at 4 o'clock in the morning. You know. My friends, that might be so. But please let me suggest something to you. The Bible is not telling us about what man is capable of doing The Bible is telling us what God has done. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sin, and Paul said it is a trustworthy statement. You can, can, (laughs) used to be able to say, take this to the bank. That's dangerous anymore. In Canada, the the interest rate just went down to 0%. (laughs) My daughter loves it. She loves it because she's paying... Uh, her college fee, and 0% from American to Canadian, you're, you're on the way to the bank. <laughs> well, listen, the scriptures are not like the Canadian currency. It doesn't depreciate with time. It doesn't pre- uh, depreciate because the price of oil goes down, because man becomes more intelligent with his technology. 
the Bible speaks the truth from one end of time to the end of it. It's reliable. Secondly, the message of Scripture is redemptive. Now, this is important. It is redemptive. When, 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 when the contemporaries of Jesus did not want to listen to what he said, he turned to the disciples and said, Are you also going to go away? And Peter said, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. 2 Timothy 3.15 says, The Bible, the scriptures, the sacred writings are able to make you wise unto salvation. Listen, if you want to find out about science... If you want to find out about philosophy, if you want to find out about history, don't go to the Bible. Because the Bible is not a book about science. The Bible is not a book about philosophy. The Bible is not a book about history. It has history in it. Just read the, the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel, the Bible is a book about redemption. What God was doing to bring humanity back to himself. The Bible does not contradict science. It doesn't contradict true philosophy. But anything that comes up against the Bible as to its message, I don't believe the Bible because it doesn't tell me this or that. I'm going to say rightly so. When I was in graduate school, someone raised his hand and asked the professor, a question as to why St. Paul didn't deal with this issue. And he named the issue. And the professor gave him a very good answer. After all, I was in Moody Graduate School. So you'd have the right answer. Well, to my satisfaction or dissatisfaction, it was not the right answer. <laughs> so I raised my hand. And I said, Sir, if Paul was responsible for the scriptures, you could question Paul. But because God is responsible for the scriptures, you are questioning God. I don't know if he liked me after that. <laughs> but isn't it true? If there is an issue that the Bible doesn't deal with, I want to know, why didn't Paul say so? Paul is not the author of scripture. Anything we need to know about how to be reconciled to God, we go to the Bible. We don't go to anything else, not even what man is saying. Because now they're saying that Adam was not the first man created. The contemporaries of Jesus were having a question. And they were a question about morality and destiny. They said to Jesus, If a woman has seven husbands and they all die, when they get to heaven... And when she dies, whose husband will she be? And they thought, aha, uh -huh, I got ya. Listen to what Jesus said. You are in error because you do not know the scriptures. And that's where we are. An absence of biblical knowledge, God says, my people are suffering because they do not know the word. And we are, we are talking about the environment, and rightly so, because the Bible says we're supposed to take care of the earth. But we don't worship the earth. I can name other things, but I might 
the other place. If we want to know, my friends, how to get right with God, Reader's Digest won't help us. The Bible will. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul said, I'm chief among them. And there might be someone listening to my voice this morning who has sat in this place and have never really placed his or her trust in Jesus Christ. I want to suggest to you that for you to meet with us on the other side of eternity, you must believe what the scripture says about you, about Christ, and about your destiny. The message of the Bible. God inspired his word so that his word would give us information about our redemption. Lastly, I close. The Bible is inspired by God and it is restricted. Restricted. By that I mean that absolute truth only resides with God and only God can speak absolutely. Psalm 31 verse 5, he's called the God of truth. Isaiah 65, 16, he's called the God of truth. In John 18, 37 and 38, 39, Pilate is before Jesus or Jesus is before Pilate and Jesus said, for this reason I was born and for this reason I came into the world that I might bear witness to the truth. And Jesus said, God's word is truth. Now please listen, friends. If God's word is true and truth, anything that is contrary to what God says is false. Anything. This man who said that there's no Hebrew word for commandment, he is wrong. He is wrong. It is important. Religious truth is not in human domain. Religious truth is revealed. The condition of my soul is revealed to me because I don't even know what my heart is like. It is not merely that he has the answers to life question, Jesus. It is that he himself stood before Pilate and says, I am bearing witness to what truth is. And truth is to be understood in the integrity of God. In who God is. He is the God of truth. Reality is with him, not with man who tries to find an answer for it. I close with these words from Ravi Zacharias' book, Can Man Live Without God? It says, when Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, that is restrictive. And people like to say, the Bible is so narrow. My friends, can you tell me of any religion at all that does not have restrictions? Even the liberal religions have restrictions because the liberal religions do not want you to be conservative. If you're conservative, you can't be a part of them. So they have their restrictions. Islam has its restrictions. Only Christianity is condemned for being restrictive. G.K. Chesterton has it lovely for me. I love it. He said, God has given us one way to be saved. If he had given us 10, we would want 11. 
So there are two deductions from the words of Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. That's why we celebrate the table. Here's the first I understood. Truth is absolute. And second, truth is knowable. Jesus said, I am come to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to me. Very basically stated, truth is simply what is reality. Falsehood is stating something to be so when it is not so. In fact, Jesus said these words to Thomas and to the rest of the disciples in their most important moment. They were talking about their present situation and their destiny. And they said, we don't know how to go. And Jesus said, I am. Whatever I am, whatever I say, that is reality. You follow that and you'll follow me. So Jesus' absolute claim that he is the way, the truth, and the life means categorically that anything that contradicts what he says is by definition false. If I am narrow-minded... You know, sometimes they make these silly analogies. But can you imagine being up 33,000 feet up in the air and the plane begins to have problems and the, the pilot says, oh, let's see which book shall I use now. Uh, I know what it says, but I think I'll try this. I mean, nobody would in their right mind would want to fly with someone like that. And why do we think that we can take our eternal destiny and put it in the hands of those who do not... I was telling the, the class this morning that not too long ago, an atheist opened in prayer for the city council in Florida. Now, now try to swallow that one. Someone who doesn't believe that there's someone is going to pray to someone who doesn't exist. That's the insanity, my friends, of rejecting truth for what man is saying. And so this morning... As we come, have come to the table, I want to remind you again that every month when we come, we are not trying to promote our idea about our denomination or our locality. We are talking about something that has been eternally designed so that for the sake of the church, when we follow the, the instruction of the one Paul said, I am delivering to you that which I have received. And listen to what Jesus said. The ultimate destiny of those who follow what he says is where he is. There we will also be.